live from the AP Dome, this is the AP Pod. I am, all positive, Aaron Poling. On today's show, I'm going to give you reasons why you should be positive about Detroit sports right now. I'm also going to give you a mock top 10 of the NHL draft after the NHL lottery was last week. Also coming up, I'm going to recap the NHL playoffs, but let's get into some positivity. Being a Detroit sports fan has been tough in the last four years, but I've got some good news. It's about to get way better, and the proof is already in the pudding. All you have to do is watch. That's crazy. But well, you got you got to watch the sports, not the pudding. You're not gonna you're not gonna see much positivity in watching pudding. In fact, if you're watching the pudding, you should probably call a doctor and get some help. I know that's crazy. Exhibit A: The Detroit Tigers. After last season. A lot of people were starting to question whether the young nucleus of the Tigers was actually going to be able to perform in the major leagues, which to that, all I have to respond with is... That's crazy. It's a little unfair to judge guys on a 60-game schedule, especially when it's their first crack at the majors. Like, that's not how the major leagues are at all. Everything was weird about last year, and now you kind of turn around, things are getting back to normal, and some of these prospects are really starting to show out. With the first selection of the 2018 MLB Draft, the Detroit Tigers select Casey Mize, a right-handed pitcher from Auburn University. Who do you think this conversation starts with? I think it has to start with Casey Mize. I don't think there's any question about it. Casey Mize leads all rookie pitchers in innings pitched. He also has only given up more than three earned runs twice this year, which was very beginning of April to an Oakland Athletics team that was on fire at the time. Then he also gave up six to the Kansas City Royals. That's kind of an outlier. I don't expect the Royals to have that much success off him again. But Casey Mines is getting deeper into games. He's starting to look more and more like that bulldog that they drafted out of Auburn that's going to get you six, seven innings every start, not allow the other team to score a ton of runs. He just gives the Tigers a chance to win. The Tigers' bullpen's not very good. But when Casey Mines pitches, you know that you're going to have a shot because he's going to go six and he's not going to allow more than three earned runs which rookie leads all rookies in strikeouts in the major leagues this year it's trevor rogers of the marlins but imagine if it was Tarek scubel how clean that transition would have been but scubel does sit tied for second and tied for first in american league rookie strikeouts this year by a starting pitcher he's been so good that he has 68 strikeouts which ties him for 35th in the majors not just the majors in general He's been fantastic. His last four starts, he has eight Ks twice, punched out, excuse me, he has eight Ks once, he punched out nine twice, and then hitting his last start against the White Sox, he punched out 11 and only gave up one earned run. We'd like to see him get a little deeper into games. He pitched six against the Yankees, which is a solid start. Don't get me wrong, all of these starts have been great, but the next step, the next thing that's going to really put Scooble over the top is if he can get deeper into games, maybe a little less strikeouts, a little more weak contact, but he's a fly ball pitcher, so that's tough. All in all, though, you have to be impressed with what Scoobles done so far this year. I mean, I think he could be a number one starter. The thing that's impressive is, I mean, Neely is athletic. He's a good basketball player. He's got basketball bloodlines. But a lot of times when you take 
a teenage pitcher who's six six or taller, those guys have trouble growing in their bodies and maintaining body control and keeping their arms and legs in sync and throwing strikes and that's never really been an issue for him. Do you like 97 miles an hour coming out of a 6'6 frame? What about nasty curveballs? Well, if you like both of those things, you're going to like Matt Manning. That was Jim Callis talking about Manning's potential, and it's very possible that he becomes better than Mize and Scooble. He just has the nasty stuff. I mean, he's 23 years old. He's been in the minors for a long time. He was drafted out of high school. He's got pedigree. His dad played for the Mem- Memphis, no, it would have been Vancouver Grizzlies at that time. So all of this, and you can kind of see a frontline starter developing right before our eyes. He has struggled in Toledo, but in fairness, you got to think about the struggles that Scooble and Mize faced last year. Maybe he faces those struggles this year in Toledo. And then next year, you know, after a few starts over this summer, maybe next year we're looking at our 2022 AL Rookie of the Year. What do you think about all of these pitchers? Who Who's your favorite pitcher of the bunch? Just, you know, you got th- three really good ones to choose from. You don't have much nastier stuff coming from the left side. There's not a more cerebral young pitcher in the game than Casey Mize. And how many young pitchers can you say have the raw talent of Matt Manning? Who's your favorite of the three pitchers that the Tigers have that are up and coming within the organization? I think there's a lot to like from each of the three, but if I had to choose... Right now, I might be a little impartial to Matt Manning. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen him on a major league mound yet, but I really like what he has, and I think he might he might be an ace. I said it. An ace. I mean, it's still in his career, but I think he's exceeded expectations, which is pretty incredible to say for a guy who went number five overall. Do you know what Detroit Tigers fans really love? Well, they love their ace pitching, but they really, really love that athletic outfielder particularly center fielder, the athletic center fielder that covers gap to gap and can hit a little bit at the plate. Boy, there's someone waiting in the wings that I believe Detroit Tigers fans are going to fall in love with, and that's Riley Green. Riley Green has been sensational in his two years playing pro ball. you got to remember, he was drafted out of high school. He's only 20 years old. And the fact that he's risen through the minors relatively quickly, I mean, he's in double-A Erie right now as a 20-year-old, doesn't necessarily happen all that often. He's got all the tools to be a phenomenal five-tool player. He's got the power in the bat. He's fast. He makes contact a lot, too. Don't put too much stock into his spring training performance where he may not have been the best, but you have to think, that's his first time facing Major League Pitching in ever, maybe? And then also not being able to play against actual minor leaguers in 2020 probably slowed him a little bit, but I think he's on track to... Probably be a September call-up, and then maybe a main roster stay next year. First pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Detroit Tigers select Spencer Torkelson, a third baseman from Arizona State University. Do you like 440-foot bombs? Yeah! Do you love just raw power and dudes just crushing the ball? Yeah! Well, if you do, there's a guy in the Tigers system for you as well. Well, let me introduce to you Spencer T. Not the Spencer T that threw the no-hitter. That's Spencer Turnbull. Spencer Torkelson. He hits bombs. He struggled in spring training this year, but he also had never faced professional pitching before. Usually before your first spring training, you at least face high A, double A guys. 
which he's in high A West Michigan right now, and he is hitting bombs there. He hit one 440 feet to straightaway center field the other day, and there is not much more impressive than when he makes hard contact with the ball. But an underrated aspect about his game is he's very athletic. Usually when you think about the big boppers, you think about Miguel Cabrera, who, let's be honest, he's a station-to-station guy. Spencer Torkelson's pretty quick on his feet, and he could play a couple different defensive positions. He's being likened to Chris Bryant, where he can play third base, he can play first base. We're not going to venture into the outfield yet, but if you can play a couple positions, that makes you that much more valuable to a major league organization. And that's what Spencer Torkelson is. He's a great value. There's not many bats like him in the minors. Hopefully he picks up his hitting and it'll come. Don't worry about it. It'll come. He just needs more time facing professional pitchers. We've just gone over probably the five top prospects slash players because I don't know if you can count Scoobal and Mize's prospects anymore. We've just gone over those five. This isn't talking about Joey Wentz recovering from Tommy John, who is another key cog that could be a a fifth starter one day in the majors, or a very valuable left-handed arm out of the bullpen. There are more than just those top five in the minor league system for the Tigers. Is that not enough reasons for you to be excited about the Tigers? Well, don't worry. I got one more for you. They have the third pick in the upcoming draft, and they're going to get a really good player there. So they had five top 25 picks coming into this year. Excuse me, not picks. They had five top 25 prospects coming into this year. And they're probably going to add another top 25 prospect to that list. You're going to get a really solid prospect at number three. And whether he's a pitcher, catcher, high school shortstop, it's going to be some infusion added to the Tigers roster in two to three years that's going to maybe turn them into contenders. Al Avila gets a lot of crap for not finding any players outside of the first round. But what he does really well is he gets first round talent. There's been a lot of teams that have missed on their first rounders and it's really hindered them. Look at the Pirates. But Avila hits on his first-round picks, and that's honestly what you could ask for. Do you want more second-rounders? Do you want him to find more ninth-rounders like Tarek Skubal? Which, somehow, when people criticize Avila, they suddenly forget. Also, another reason to be excited, the Tigers are probably going to open the checkbook in the next year. They didn't open it last year because you didn't really know what you had. If Al Avila would have went out and spent $60 million and Skubal and Mize come out and have really bad years, people would have been pretty mad. But now that you know what you have in Scooble and you know what you have in Mize, you can go out and you can maybe spend money on a shortstop that the Tigers desperately need. Maybe a Carlos Correa who's interlocked with A.J. Hinch in Houston, or a Javi Baez. Maybe go get an outfield bat. There's a lot of possibilities that the Tigers could do this year. And I think this upcoming offseason is going to be where the tides start to turn And we're not talking about the Tigers being rebuilders anymore. We start talking about them as the up-and-coming team in the American League because they have a lot of young talent. It's just time to get them on the field and get them going. Steve Eiserman came into the Red Wings organization and has definitely shaken things up. With the sixth pick in the draft, the Detroit Red Wings select from Mannheim of the DEL, Moritz Seider. You should really go watch Mo Seider's draft video because the look on his face is priceless. He was not ready for that. And from the sounds of the crowd, no one else was. I mean, Sider was expected to be drafted later in the first round, and the Red Wings took him at six. I mean, it makes sense, though. He's a very athletic right-hand shot defenseman. Those guys don't exactly grow on trees. 
but it's really paid off for the Wings because he is the best prospect affiliated with an NHL team right now. He's coming off being the best defenseman at the World Juniors, being the best defenseman at the World Cup. That's not just me saying that. That was voted on by the International Hockey Federation. He's coming off being the best defenseman in the SHL. It's really hard not to overhype this kid because he is going to be good. He is going to be great. He is going to be this generation's top D-man for the Red Wings. He's just got size, speed. He never looks like he's under pressure. He just makes the right play consistently, and it's going to be so much fun to watch him. But there's also another highly touted prospect that the Red Wings have in their organization, too. With the fourth pick in the 2020 entry draft, the Detroit Red Wings are very excited to select from Falunda, Lucas Raymond. It's hard to tell by Chris Draper's monotone, velvety vocals, but the Wings are really excited about Lucas Raymond. He's already being touted, and he hasn't stepped on the ice as a potential Selkie winner later in his career. For those of you who don't know, the Selkie Trophy is given to the best defensive forward in the league. He's coming from the SHL, which is a, a league where they really harp on their forwards to play defense. He's also getting compared to Mitch Marner, who was fourth in the league in points this year on a really good Toronto Maple Leafs team. I mean, it didn't work out in the playoffs. That's foreshadowing. But there's a lot to like. He's a right-handed shot at the World Juniors. He scored some nasty highlight reel goals. Right in the side, wow. score! Set up beautifully in front, Rasmussen. and the first career goal oh, for Michael Rasmussen. Michael Rasmussen has improved leaps and bounds since his rookie year. He's on his way to being a very good defensive forward. He will score goals eventually. He's got a big body. He can screen the goalie. He's going to get probably 20 to 25 goals a year. And maybe like five or six of them are just going to bounce off him because he's in front of the net. His skating ability has also gotten that much better too. To where he's being trusted in the key moments. When Dylan Larkin went out with his neck injury, Michael Rasmussen took over as the top center for the Wings. He played nearly 20 minutes a game. As a 21-year-old kid, I think he's only going to get better. And he's one of the players I'm most excited about on the Red Wings roster. The only thing that the Red Wings are really missing in their prospect pipeline is that top-tier prospect goalie. But... That's called foreshadowing. The Wings have two first-round picks this year. And I am starting to become a strong believer in the Red Wings drafting goaltender Jesper Wallstead out of the SHL. I just have this weird feeling. That's the one thing they're kind of missing is a good goalie. And then there's a good goalie that'll be there when they draft at six. And he's probably the best goalie prospect in a while. I can't think of any off the top of my head that are better. And if there's one GM that has the guts to draft a goalie in the top six, it's definitely Steve Eiserman. But enough about rebuilds. Let's get into some playoff hockey because it has been fantastic. welcomes you to the following presentation of the National Hockey League. Let's start in the north. That seems pretty cut and dry. We've got the Toronto Maple Leafs playing the Montreal Canadiens. Then you got the Edmonton Oilers playing the Winnipeg Jets. Who's ready for some Maple Leafs Oilers second round action? Am I right? The third overtime. Connor on a break. Coming right side. He scores! 
Winnipeg Jets to the second round. A triple overtime winner. Oof. Big oof. Oh, man, that was bad. The Winnipeg Jets swept the Oilers. It was kind of embarrassing for Edmonton, who had two of the three highest scoring players all year. Connor McDavid only scored four points. This goes to show you that you can score 100 points in, you know, 56 games, but the playoffs are a whole different animal. Well, good thing the Maple Leafs are going to move on to, you know, sweep the Jets so that way we can at least have, you know, an interesting North Division winner. This pass gets away, rolls out of the zone, and the Montreal Canadiens have completed the comeback. Oh, man, really? So you're telling me that the finals for the North Division is the Winnipeg Jets, who coming into the playoffs lost seven straight games, and the freaking Montreal Canadiens? Wow, that's going to be boring. This right here is a poster for why they will never do a Canadian division again. The Canadians and the Jets have no business being in the playoffs. In fact, if they were in a different division, they probably don't make the playoffs at all. This was kind of the worst case scenario for the North Division. We were expecting a second round that was up and down, fast paced between the Oilers and the Maple Leafs. We're going to get a really good muck and grind and eh, just boring second round series. And so far it has been. The Montreal Canadiens have dominated the Jets, which, I mean, I really don't know what to say other than whoever the Canadians have to play. The Canadians, hopefully they just beat them down. The Canadians don't even belong in the playoffs, let alone they're going to make it to the semifinals, which is ridiculous. There is no way that they should be in the final four teams of the NHL. You've got teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins, that couldn't even get out of the first round of the East. And they had 20 more points at the end of the regular season than the Canadians did. And yet the Canadians are going to go on to play either Colorado or Vegas. This, this type of playoff style will never happen again because of this. It's unfortunate. We really missed out on what could have been a spectacular series between two of the best in the league. A little fun side fact for you. Usually a team that sweeps like the Winnipeg Jets did and they play a team like the Montreal Canadiens that went seven games, usually the team that played seven games goes on and wins the second series. So let's keep that in mind for the next division because that same scenario is going to play out. A little different second-round series, though. Much more exciting. It's a four-game sweep for the Colorado Avalanche. They are the first team to advance in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think the biggest story here was Ryan O'Reilly guaranteed the Blues would beat the Avalanche, and they didn't win a game. But also on the same hand, what do you expect them to say? They're a way better team than us? We're going to go get our butts kicked for four straight? There's no way we're going to beat them. Yeah, there's no way any professional hockey player is going to say that, or professional in any sport. You don't get to be a professional athlete with that mindset. The mindset that you have is you're going to win out every single time you're out on the ice, that's why Ryan O'Reilly is who he is. But all in all, the Avalanche beat the Blues. But that was kind of expected. The Blues are beaten down by COVID this year. There's not really a lot. Like, they were hurt badly. It also doesn't help that Nazem Kadri knocked out the Blues' best defender in Game 2 with an illegal check to the head. Yeah, he's going to sit for a while. Big picture question, though. 
who are the Avs going to play? Because at this point, the Vegas Golden Knights were up 3-0. Minnesota tied at 3-3. So take it away, NBC. A series win on home ice. Thanks, NBC. Way to make me look dumb. <laughs> but that home team that was clinching on home ice was the Vegas Golden Knights. Fun fact, this is the Vegas Golden Knights' first time ever clinching a series on their home ice. That's interesting to me because you think, after making the finals, one of those would have been at home. But this sets up a very, very good series between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. The series is tied 2-2. The Avalanche absolutely dominated a super-tired Golden Knights team in Game 1. Then the Golden Knights turned around and dominated the Avs, but lost on a Miko Rantanen overtime goal. When the series shifted to Vegas... The Golden Knights dominated, but they came out with both the games in Vegas. The series moves back to Colorado for the start of the best of three, and I think this one's going seven. But because of the game seven versus sweep fact that I told you about, you know, with the Winnipeg Jets and the Canadians, I think the Golden Knights are going to pull this one out. If you've somehow forgotten what that fact was, it is when a team sweeps in the first round, or any round for that matter, like the Avalanche did, and they play a team that went seven games in the round before, the team that plays seven games typically wins the next series. So I think I'm going to go with hockey history, and I think the Golden Knights are going to pull this one out. Stan goes, Kalon shoots, oh, a toe save made right in front by Huberto. They're not going to get that one. Empty net goal by Alex Kalon, and that's going to do it. That was a fun series to watch. Game one of that series, I was exhausted just watching it. I couldn't imagine the players on the ice. They hate each other. And the good news is next year, they're still in the same division, so they're going to keep hating each other. But also, another fun fact, the Panthers were the first team ever to start three different goalies twice in an NHL playoff series. The Panthers also introduced us to Spencer Knight, who is going to dominate this league for the next 10 years to come. So that was fun. But all in all, the defending champs, you kind of expected them to move on against the Panthers. Nothing against the Panthers, just the Lightning are that good. Well, he had a, a tough time with a concussion in the regular season. Now Slavin. A wrist shot. Take it, he scores! Jacob Slavin has won the series for the Carolina Hurricanes! Fun fact. I know what you're thinking. I'm full of fun facts today. I'm the fun fact guy. But game three through game six, so the final four games of this series, all went to overtime which I think is incredible. I think Nashville also showed out more than I thought they would. I thought the Hurricanes were just going to sweep them in four games and blow them out in every game. But Nashville put up a fight and showed that they're a feisty team. Also, it was great to hear Bridgestone Arena in Nashville rocking again. That place has been incredible when the Predators have been in the playoffs. As it stands now, though, the Tampa Bay Lightning are up 3-1 on the Hurricanes, and I think this one's a done deal. Tampa was just better than every team in the Central this year. They're going to go on to play the winner of the East. Impressive performance by the Boston Bruins as the Washington Capitals won game one of this series on home ice. I know you have ears and, you know, the guy just did say the Capitals won game one. But after game one, Boston won four straight in fairly impressive fashion, too. I don't think the series was that close. So Boston's going to move on to play the winner of New York and Pittsburgh. The New York Islanders on their way to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Islanders knock off the Penguins. I mean, the Penguins were the top seed in the East to take on the Bruins. 
this is a, that's going to be a fun series. In fact, since I've been running my suck into this microphone for you intellectuals, the Islanders won Game 5 and took a 3-2 series lead going back to Nassau Coliseum on the island in New York. I think that one's going to go 7. I think Bruins will win in Game 6, and the Isles will come out, and they'll probably win Game 7 to go play Tampa. And then Tampa beats them, Vegas advances, and then Vegas... Tampa is my Stanley Cup Finals prediction that I've had all along. That's still in play, and I think it's still going to happen. Before we move on to the last segment of the show, I think the biggest news coming out of any sport in the past, I don't know, two weeks has been Coach K decided to retire from Duke. The Duke Blue Devils were that bad that they killed Coach K's love for basketball. I'm kidding. It's probably time for Coach K to move on. He's been with Duke forever. He's the winningest coach in college basketball history, at least on the men's side. And I think his legacy is going to live on forever in the Duke program. Good luck to whoever has to fill those shoes after him. There's not a chance they're going to be able to do it. That's the tough thing about when a legendary coach retires from a college sport, especially college basketball. You really can't fill those shoes. Also, I wanted to make mention, Julio Jones got traded to the Tennessee Titans for a second-round pick. I got you. This is your favorite uncle. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. Got to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man. Nah, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out. Of there? He's out of there. Told you. Are you going to... You know what makes it really hard to trade a player? Is when on national TV, he says he wants out. Getting a second-round pick for Julio Jones for the Falcons... That's a pretty good salvage job. They weren't going to get much more. Everyone knew he wasn't going to go back. Julio Jones probably just would have sat out if they didn't trade him. So good job by the Falcons getting a second-round pick. Good job by the Titans for getting a Hall of Fame wide receiver for a second-round pick. Add him to A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry on that offense. You've got a lot of weapons there for Ryan Tannehill. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But now... Welcome to Rules Academy. Taught by myself, Professor AP. The only degrees that we hand out here is your Bachelors of Sports. Class is now in session, and today we're going to learn about the NHL Lottery Draft. The NHL Lottery Draft determines who gets the first overall and the second overall picks in the NHL Draft. The team with the least amount of points at the end of the season has the best odds of winning the first overall pick. The second worst team has the second best odds, so on and so forth. Because there are only two spots determined by the lottery, the furthest the worst team in the league can fall is the third pick. And that's how the NHL determines who gets the top two picks in the NHL draft. Class dismissed. I really enjoy a good mock draft. Just to see what, you know, see what we think compared to what the actual GMs think their teams need. It's just interesting. So I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And my first mock draft that I'm ever going to do is I'm going to do an NHL Top 10 mock draft. Especially since, you know, Professor AP just taught you about the NHL Draft Lottery. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what is called a segue. Ugh. Go away, hippie. It's not your turn. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to do a top 10 mock draft. And then when we get closer to the actual draft, I'm going to do a full first round mock. And then I'm going to score myself on the actual draft. I haven't come up with the rules yet. 
But I think I have a solid idea. But in later episodes, I will definitely let you intellectuals know. Number one, the Buffalo Sabres. I think this is an easy pick. Most scouts think this is an easy pick as well. Uh, Some idiots, I mean pundits like me, think this isn't an easy pick. But it has to be Owen Power. You don't just get six foot five good skating defensemen. They don't just grow on trees. If you have the chance to take them, you have to take them. This dude can move the puck. He can do everything. The only downside to his game, not as physical as you'd want a six foot five defenseman to be. Number two, the Seattle Kraken. I'm going Luke Hughes at number two to the Seattle Kraken. He's the youngest brother of Jack Hughes and Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes plays for Vancouver, so there could be that geographical rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver, and they could be playing against each other. I think that'd be interesting. But he's a really good puck mover, plays with the national development team in Plymouth, and I believe he's going to be he's going to be probably the best offensive defenseman in this draft. He might not be the best defensive guy, but I think he's going to put up points in the NHL. Number three, the Anaheim Ducks. As a third pick, I have Matty Bierners going to the Anaheim Ducks. Bierners really came on at Michigan this year. He put up over a point per game as a freshman as probably one of the most hype uh, recruiting classes in college hockey ever between him, Owen Power, Kent Johnson. Bierners really impressed, and I think number three to the Ducks just makes a lot of sense because they are really solid on the back end. But the one thing they're lacking is a really good center. Number four, the New Jersey Devils. I have Barry Colts product Clark Brandt going number four. He is a right-handed defenseman. There's a lot of really solid defensemen this year, an unusual amount. I think Brandt and Luke Hughes are probably going to battle for the second best their whole career. They're probably going to be compared to each other more than either of them to Owen Power just because they have different types of games. But Brandt is a right-handed defenseman, and there's not very many of those that could be a number one. So the New Jersey Devils are going to get a solid steal at number four. Number five, the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Columbus Blue Jackets are going to get the grit they desperately need on the front end with center Mason McTavish. Since they traded away Josh Anderson and Nick Foligno, they don't really have that same identity that we're used to with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think Mason McTavish makes sense for this organization because he's a gritty forward. He's tough to play against. He's also got really high offensive upside and could probably score you 25 to 30 goals a year in the NHL. Number six, the Detroit Red Wings. If there was ever a GM that was bold and brave enough to take a goalie at six, it would be Steve Eiserman. Think about the last time he had the sixth pick. He took Moritz Sider, who was supposed to be possibly end of the first round, and that's turned out phenomenally for the Wings. So I think they go with Wallstead here, who in the SHL, he was the number one goalie for his team for a bit, and that never happens as an 18-year-old. He finished with a 2.23 goals against average and a 908 save percentage. I believe he's going to be dominant in the NHL. (music) 
Number seven, the San Jose Sharks. With the seventh pick, the San Jose Sharks are going to take Dylan Gunther. And if they do get Gunther at seven, they're going to be ecstatic. Gunther has one of the best shots in the draft class. It's explosive. It's definitely elite. He also has really good net front presence, is really good around the net, and he's just a gifted goal scorer, something the Sharks desperately need. Number eight, the L.A. Kings. The L.A. Kings have the best prospect pool in the National Hockey League. The one thing they're missing, though, is a defenseman. And they're going to get that at number eight with Simon Evanson. He's six foot four. He's played in the SHL. He doesn't get a ton of minutes there because it's obviously it's a professional hockey league. So you got to play your best players. But all the tools are there and you can kind of project them out. With that big body, he could be a dominant force for years to come in the league. Number nine, the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks take Carson Lambos with the ninth pick. He's a defenseman out of the WHL, most recently with the Winnipeg Ice. His stock has kind of fallen because of the COVID-19 pandemic. He put up 32 points as a 17-year-old, which isn't bad as a defenseman, but I think he was about to have a breakout year in his draft-eligible year, and if he would have done that, he could have shot up the board, but didn't get a chance to, but I think he falls to Vancouver at number nine. Number 10, the Ottawa Senators. Rounding out the top 10, the Ottawa Senators pick left wing slash center, Kent Johnson. I believe in the NHL he'll play more center just because he has that good playmaking ability and he's very sound defensively. At Michigan, he didn't get a chance to play much center just because they were stacked at the center position. But overall, what's really going to be his calling card in the NHL is his playmaking ability and passing. He's got really good vision. And I believe that's why he's going to go at number 10. <laughs> Superman!